you please rise for the reading of the word, Psalms 1-0. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, and the wind blows over it and is gone. It is, and in its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Well, before I jump into uh, the text, which is uh, going to be Psalm 103, I wanted to say a big thank you to all of you who participated in our end-of-year giving campaign, Illuminate. We uh, were able to uh, bring in 139,779, I think I'm supposed to click forward on that, sorry, and uh, $139,779 came in through Illuminate uh, from your generosity. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much. And so I would want to give you a round of applause for your generosity. Uh, you can give each other. And, and as we had said during the Illuminate campaign, these are the resources that are going to be putting us in a good position for this year to continue to do all that God has for us, investing money in our worship life as well as our online experience with so much of our church still being um, online and remote and as well as working in our, our pastoral leadership incubator to, to strengthen and deepen uh, the amount of uh, and quality uh, of our uh, leadership here at Beacon, uh, and of course, to just to continue uh, reaching um, all that God has given us to reach, including through our very much expanded compassion and ministries, our care team, all of these kinds of things, where we've been just able to bless so many folks who are in financial need, uh, who are finding it hard to uh, you know put food on the table and all these kinds of things. Um, these are the kinds of uh, that these are the kinds of things that these funds help us do. So thank you guys uh, so very very much. Much we're in this new series we're starting today, and it is called Superlative. And uh, I think you know over the years 
Uh, you've heard me mention these things before, right? This idea that you, you have a job, like you have a responsibility. And, and, it, and it sort of can irritate us when people who have a job or a responsibility don't do it the way they ought to do it. I, I was reminded of it this week. I came across a story of a, uh, it, he was a soldier and he was going to his commissary and he went there and he, he needed to buy his normal stuff. And so when he went in there, he, he went to go look for his deodorant and it was out of stock which he found surprising because he knew it was a very popular deodorant among the soldiers. And so, um, you know, whatever, he went back the next week and uh, still the shelves were, were empty. The deodorant wasn't there. And so then, you know, he started asking around. Everyone's saying the same thing. Like, yeah, it hasn't been in inventory for a while now. And so another week goes by and finally he says, you know, I just got to ask about it. So he finds an employee there and he says, hey, so help me understand. Like, you know, we, we were buying this for a while and now it's like a lot of us use it and it's not here. And the employee told him, well, yeah, you know, it was so popular, it was hard to keep on the shelves, so I stopped ordering it. No, 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 that you work harder to make sure it, you had one job. And you guys know that meme, right? You had one job. Make straight lines. Can you make straight lines? Like, you know, we, that's what we were at. I like this one, too. This was a fun one. Major accident, left lanes close, use left lane. <laughs> so, any, you guys, some people, you guys like these? You guys find these funny? So, I got to hear you. Did I hear that? All right, that's good. So, by the way, you know, I noticed, you guys like it? Last week we had Pastor Lawrence here. Do you guys like it when Pastor Lawrence comes? Right? I like it when he comes too. Now, here's the thing Pastor Lawrence is used to a lot more interaction. And so, he doesn't even know if you like him. And I'm assuring him you like him, but he's if he comes when he comes back, guys, please let him know you like him. So let's hear it, right? Like make sure that when he is so anyway, if you like these, then I'm going to give you a couple more because, you know, I think they're funny. Um, and so there you go. You had one job. Why couldn't you just do it right? Um, <laughs> no matter what you press, you're going down. Um, anyway, so here we are, right? We're you're you're. You, you, if you think about yourself sort of existentially here on this planet, if you were to take a view from space as to where we are, you are a speck on that speck in, in the Milky Way. Like you are the tiniest of tiny little things out on this pale blue dot. And here we are hurtling through space. When you forget your purpose, when you forget why you are here you will increasingly experience a sense of malaise or even frustration. For some of you, it'll be more like despair. You'll sort of go into this low-grade kind of living. That's what this series is about. There are so many people who are living just simply common and ordinary sorts of unremarkable lives. You can't forget why you are here. And some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, actually, that's the only part of me being here that I think about, which is nothing or meaninglessness. Maybe you have no idea why you're here. If that is you this morning or if you feel like your life has been sort of just humdrumming along, then this series, this message is especially important for you. It is designed for you because God wants so much more for you. He desires a super 
superlative kind of life. Throughout the Bible, God makes these lavish promises to us. He pays astute attention to the details and the suffering of your life. He, he makes these, these magnificent, grand gestures, and he works miraculous coincidences. All in your life, all in your favor, so that you can live an outsized, over-the-top, technicolor kind of Christian life. So why is it then that so few will experience this consistently? I want to propose to you this morning that when you neglect your soul, when you neglect your soul, you sabotage the superlative life that God wants to give you when you neglect your soul. So if you could open to Psalm 103, we're going to be kind of working through this. I've got a couple messages in this series that are going to come out of Psalm 103. Not all of them, but a couple of them are going to come out of this. So it's helpful if you guys open it up and we kind of follow along because I'm going to jump in and out of the, the text here this morning. And this psalm is just, it's over the top, right? When you, when you hear it, when you read it, it's kind of extra in all those good ways that extra can be good ways. And so many praises to the Lord, shouts of joy. There's, it sounds like the poet here is ready to his break out. You know, he's already broken out into song, right? Like this is his soul song. And it seems like any moment he's going to break out and dance. Like if this were today, it'd be like a TikTok, right? Like he would be like, dude, I think that's what you guys do on TikTok, right? You're like, dude, like... And so, like, you get out there, like, that's, like, this is what's going on. This is, like, going, he's going over the top with this thing. Because, the, and the whole thing, it starts and it ends. And that's a big thing in poetry you want to kind of pay attention to, right? Starts and it ends with the poet sort of chiding himself, sort of, like, speaking to his soul. Encouraging himself to praise God and to never forget God's awesome goodness. So look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He ends, verse 22. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. I think it's revealing to us that the psalmist has to kind of exhort and encourage his own soul. He's almost speaking to it as if he's saying, listen, here's what you need to do. Here's what I need. This is what I want you to do. Why? Because the soul is prone to drift from God. This is just a straight-up spiritual truth. You'll see it. You'll experience it many, many times. The soul is prone to drift from God. We've got to figure out what it's going to take to not drift. We need to own that responsibility as our own. So in our incubator, the Pastoral Leadership Incubator, we've been studying a book uh, by John Ortberg. He's talking about Dallas Willard. It's called Soul Keeping. It's amazing. Most everyone who's reading it is just uh, totally blown away and loves it. And he comes out with a model, a diagram, to help us understand a little bit more about what is the soul. If you are responsible for your soul, then what is it? And the way he describes it, I think, is, is very, very helpful. He says, you know, you could think of the soul as a combination of who you are. So your will is sort of the center. Your ability to decide things is sort of at the center of who you are. It's what you make. You make decisions one way or the other. The will has certain strengths. It also has certain weaknesses. There are certain things it's really good at, and there are certain things it's not so good at. Right? It's often good at making big, big, massive decisions, but it's often not so good at making daily like kind of in the moment decisions, right? And so this is why you might remain faithful in your marriage, but 
you, you can't stop eating the chocolate chip cookies. Like it, it's kind of one of those things. And, and it also is kind of exhaustible, meaning it, it can't, through sheer will alone, actually continue to get you where you want to be. And so you have, you know, your mind, and you, you can also think of this as kind of your emotions, like kind of that makeup between like who you are and your heart and all of that kind of stuff. And, and what is that? And, and you get, again, that brings the emotional piece of you, the mind piece of you, brings with it the thought processes and the emotional kind of processes. And that thing together has its strengths and its weaknesses. And of course, you have the body. And this is what makes Christianity such a unique piece of kind of the religious landscape out there and the spiritual landscape. The body is wildly important in Christian theology. You'll see it time and again throughout the pages of Scripture. And of course, any of these things can be out of whack. Any of them can be moving in alignment. But together, they describe them as the soul. So when we're talking about you being responsible for your soul, it's going to include all of these things, your will, your emotional makeup, your mind, your body. All of these things come together and they are you. That is your soul life. We're told in this book also that the soul has the capacity to integrate all of these things in alignment. And that's kind of the goal that the soul will be strengthened as these pieces of it fall into alignment. And when they're not in alignment, you experience disintegration. When they're in alignment, you experience integration of your soul, and there's a wholeness that comes. And when you're integrated, you feel it. You get a sense of it. Your soul just starts to thrive. We're also having to stop and pause and remember that we already know this, right? So go back in your own mind and think, all right, you know, when was the last time I felt particularly integrated in soul where somehow my soul was getting refreshed? And you might say, well, you know, I went on this long walk through the woods. It was just me by myself, or maybe it was on the beach and I was enjoying God's creation and I was feeling kind of the, the world around me. I was experiencing the beauty and I was reflecting on the goodness of God and I had a worship song in my heart and I had decided to dedicate this time to just exploring my relationship with Jesus. And man, it was a good and rewarding and refreshing time. You were feeling the integration of your soul. But it involved the whole of you. Or you might remember a time where, you know, you hung out with some friends and you had some good food and, and you had a nice bottle of wine that you were relaxing together and the conversation was rich and it was rewarding. And even though you stayed up way past your bedtime, the next day you went, man, I feel good. Like, you know, some of you are longing for it right now. Even describing it, you're like, I haven't seen anything like that for a year. My soul's been hungering for this sort of a thing. Yes, because... That's what your soul's crying out for because it impacts all of these pieces. And when they get integrated, there is health in the soul. Now, we get to this psalm and we realize that when you follow God, it impacts every single part of your life. And sometimes we miss this. When you go through the scriptures, we kind of think of like our lives and then our spiritual life. That doesn't exist in the scriptures. It's the whole of your existence that needs to fall into the submission of God, under the submission of God. 
Because the soul is really who you are. It's inside and out. Intending to the soul is all inclusive. In fact, one of the ways this this uh, psalm is like totally uh, superlative, like kind of over the top, is its repetition of all, right? It kind of just captures this idea, and, and, he, and he repeats it time and again. Verse 1, he says, all my inmost being. Verse 2, he says, all God's benefits. Verse 3, he says, all my sins and all my diseases are forgiven and healed. Then he jumps to the end, and he hits it again, 21 and 22. He says, all the heavenly host, all his works. And you see, he's bracketing the whole of this psalm using this word, all, 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 every fullness, completeness, perfection. He's just going way over the top trying to describe this. In fact, if you just let me nerd out for just a moment with you, I think this is super cool. Look at verse 19. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and, and his kingdom rules over all. I'm reading one of the scholars this week, and he says that where it says here that his kingdom rules over all, which I caught, and I thought, oh, that's very cool. You know, it's the same idea. Oh, he says that there's actually a definite article in the original language in Hebrew. So it actually says the all. And so it's hard for us to translate because we don't have like a real equivalent to that. But if you read it like that, it says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over the all. Which is like our way of saying the universe, like everything. And so that's like a little way you say, listen, it's the all. So from now on, we're going to call the universe the all. Um, it's just like the way this is, this is biblical, it's straight from God. And so we're going to, he rules over the all. It, it even goes a little cooler, like one, one of the, the guys I was reading, he pointed out that, that there are actually 22 lines of poetry in this psalm. And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So even with the structure of it, it's as if the, the poet is trying to say, listen, he's your A to Z. He is your everything. He is all. He is superlative. He's perfection. Following God encompasses and it impacts all of you. Your mind, your affections, your will, your body, your relationships, it's all of it. So what is it that God promises to lavish on you so that it is, that is so superlative that it impacts your whole life in such a way that it has the power to elicit shouts of adoration from everyone, everywhere, at all times. What is it that God has promised us? One of the things we see is that he opens up a passionate love relationship with your creator. Look at verse 3. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. This is straight-up gospel invitation here, good news from Jesus. He's saying, listen, you've got, you're going to have the forgiveness of your sins. So, you know, you've struggled with running away from God because you, you, of the sins that you've committed and the things that you've done that you regret. And he says, listen, you're forgiven. I can forgive you because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you have shame and you have guilt. And he says, that shame and that guilt, that went to the cross with Jesus. You don't need to run from me. You want, he want, he's, he's calling you in. He's like, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and all the things that break a relationship, he's already dealt with. Yes, but I've been so apathetic and I haven't been excited and I've kind of drifted away. And yes, but don't use that as an excuse to continue drifting away. Use it as an encouragement to come to the one who is always waiting and looking to receive and to lavish his love on you. He opens up this passionate love relationship 
with your creator. He also placed you in a sacrificial tribe. When you follow the progression of this psalm, it's pretty cool. In verses 1 through 5, he's talking about me and my and mine. And then in verses 10 to 18, he starts opening it up. And it's, it's me and it's we and it's our. And so like he's making a shift from what's going on in his own soul to what's happening in his community, what's happening in his tribe, his spiritual family. And then he mentions specifically the spiritual family the people of God, as they existed in the days of Moses. And so look at verse 7. He says, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel, to the spiritual tribe called Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse you, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Look at verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I mean, when you first read this, you can already get a sense of the promises that are that are that are woven into this. And it sounds pretty awesome. But the historic some of you are like, this sounds familiar to me. I remember this from somewhere. And the historical context makes this even more profound. Because this story happened after the Exodus, right? Sorry, we go back in time a little bit. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. And they're about to do battle with Pharaoh, or should I say God is going to do battle with Pharaoh. And so they, the Moses gathers up the nation of Israel. They have the Passover. The Red Sea gets divided. They run the plagues, the whole thing. Israel is now heading toward the promised land. And God calls Moses up on the mountain, right? And he goes up on the mountain and he grabs, he was given the Ten Commandments, right? Or the 15, depending on the version that you watch. And so he gets up there with the 15 or 10 commandments and he, he takes the Ten Commandments Back to the people, and what does he find? Golden calf. One of the most horrific sin rebellion moments in the nation of Israel's history. After they've seen all of the goodness of God and his provision, his protection, and all of that, he gets down there, it's a golden calf. They're making an idol already. Moses has barely been gone. He was up there getting a word from God for the people, and they're already making an idol. Moses gets angry, he smashes the tablets. Huge fiasco. He says, I'm going to go back up on the mountain. I'm going to pray. Maybe God won't kill you. Maybe he won't destroy you, you as a nation. Moses goes up there. And in Exodus 32, he says, but now please forgive their sin. And if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses is pleading for his people. He's standing in the gap and he's saying, Listen, if you're not going to forgive them, because God's like, hey, Moses, let's get rid of them, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to raise up a whole new people of God, a whole new tribe from you. And Moses is like, no, far be it from God to do that to his people. And God relents. He does not bring that kind of destruction on the people. And God describes himself with the language from this psalm. He's passionate, he's slow to anger, he's quick to forgive. He's like a father. That's why it sounds familiar to you. It's part of this exodus sin cycle that was so brutal. 
And here we are moving into the New Testament and we read Romans 8 and a bunch of other places and we find out that this is the exact thing that Jesus was doing for us. Jesus comes on the scene and he stands in the gap and he says, do not judge the people. Do not wipe them out. Instead, in fact, blot me out. And Jesus would take the wrath of God. He would live in a sacrificial way to unite and preserve this new spiritual tribe. So that's what we have. God has put you in this new tribe, in this spiritual family, the church, on the basis of Jesus interceding for us and standing in the gap. And now he's given us this spiritual family, this new tribe, so we get to practice that exact kind of sacrificial love. Why the church? Why this? Why a community? Why people? Why small groups? Why do we encourage you to form relationships in significant ways with other followers of Jesus? Because it is your training ground for sacrificial love. It's an incredible gift that we get to learn how to give of our lives so that others might find Jesus. That we get to stand in the gap and plead on their behalf as they plead on our behalf. We also see that God promises to establish us as heroically unwavering. Look at verse 4. He says, he crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a curious phrase. So it's a little bit of an odd kind of phrasing to our ears because, you know, we love the idea of eagles soaring, but we, like how does that kind of relate to what we're saying? And it comes out of Isaiah 40. And this is key kind of, again, to get the background on this. He says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. So he's strong, he's powerful, he's wise, he's good, all of that. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And here's the key. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. When he's talking about soaring like an eagle, you know, you could watch an eagle fly and they've got the six foot wingspan, seven foot wingspan. They ride those currents and the drifts and they could do this all day long. And it looks like a, it looks like an animal, a creature that will never fatigue, never tire. And so that became a, a picture of what happens when you are established by God in that kind of strength and that kind of fullness of life, that kind of maturity. And so God is promising, promising to establish you as heroically unwavering. I mean, how many of you have felt in the last 12 months that you've been just tossed around by the circumstances of life? You're just feeling like, man, every single day, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm overwhelmed on this, on that. I'm eating too much. I'm drinking too much. I'm, I'm swiping too much. I'm praying too little. I'm worshiping too meagerly. I'm relating to people too shallowly. And we're feeling like all these circumstances have just tossed us around. Why are we so subject to our circumstances? Because we have yet to be fully established in his strength. And he's saying, I want to give you something so that you aren't going to be tossed around like that by what this world throws at you. Circumstances aren't going to govern whether you rise or fall. I will govern it by establishing you as strong, heroically unwavering. 
He also entrusts us with a mighty mission. We'll see this in future weeks, uh, about a month or so down the road as we kind of unpack some of these ideas a little more. But he says in verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Look at verse 21, praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. He's speaking to the angels, he's speaking to the heavenly hosts and he goes, listen, you are establishing God's kingdom. His throne is here, his kingdom is here, and you, his mighty ones, he's talking to the heavenly host, the angels, are establishing God's kingdom here on earth. And guess who he gave that job to in the New Testament? To you. He has entrusted you with his great mission to fill the earth with the glory of God and to introduce people who are far from him to his sacrificial love. This is where you'll start to offer thirsty people refreshing water, literally and spiritually. This is when we offer the oppressed freedom that is only going to be found in Jesus, where we fight against the, the systems of this world that oppress and bring injustice. It's where we offer sinners the hope that their hearts long for. We serve the world in this way. Now here's the rub. God wants to give us all of this, but we actually need to do these very things to tend to our souls. So back to the original, back to the first. This is the same way you actually will, will manage and tend and care for your own soul. You will do these very sorts of things. So you have one job. You have one job. Love the Lord your God with everything. The rest of it falls into place. How can you love God more fully and more completely? That's a question of the soul. And so imagine for a minute with me that this is God and his love. Um, his love is the equivalent of mini marshmallows for the purpose of this morning, so just stick with me on that a little bit. And so, you know, God, the way that God does this is he just sort of distributes his love in the world, right? So that's what he does. He's like, you know, his general goodness. And so, you know, it's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful this and there's some goodness in the world and some justice is done and God sort of distributes his love. And that's absolutely true. We see God distributing his, the sweetness. You get that? The mini marshmallows. Anyway, he, the sweetness of his love. It goes out there. But what God really loves to, loves to do is he loves to take your soul and he loves to fill that with his love. And when he fills your soul with his love, he doesn't expect it to stay there. He fills your soul because he wants you going out and spreading his love to the world. And he never ceases to replenish that soul. So I want to love God more. What does that mean? Well, do the things that we've been talking about. Commit yourself to tending to your soul. Set aside the time and the discipline and you will start pressing against the inside of your soul. And so let's say that, you know, you're struggling in your walk with God right now. You feel far from him. And so you say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate some time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside some time every single day and I'm just going to read his word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to figure out what's going on in my soul. And when you do that, right, so you start pressing against your soul. 
And what takes place in those moments of discipline and in those moments of sacrifice, you're pressing against the boundaries of your soul. God meets you in that moment. And one day you wake up and you realize, wait, my soul is just a little bit bigger than it used to be. Which means, of course, God takes all of that Plus, he, whenever he sees a little vacuum like this, he doesn't like that. So he just fills out with some more of his love. And so suddenly, you've increased your capacity to experience God's love, which is pretty unbelievable because not only do you now experience more of his love, it's the same substance, the same thing, it's still his love, but now you experience it more fully and more completely. And guess what it does for you? It gives you more to actually give out to the world. And then so you look at this and God starts filling it up again and you're like, this is an absolutely amazing thing. And then all of a sudden one day you realize that you've largely been just running your, your race with God and you by the two of you just doing your thing and that's great. But he suddenly puts it on your heart that you actually need to invest in others. And so you start committing yourself to a spiritual family and you start asking yourself, how do I love people that I'm not necessarily uh, naturally akin to? And how do I love people like a brother or a sister? And how can I sacrifice for them? And how can I take on God's empathy and God's love? And when you do that, you press against the boundaries of your soul and you force it to yield and you press against the sides. And before you know it, sure enough, you're looking at, a much bigger soul. This is Trevor's glass, by the way. I don't even know what it is, but he gave it to me to use. And, and, so, and so, you know, God sees that, that opening. He fills it up just a little bit more. And, and suddenly you're like, this is amazing. I have all of this more love to give and I'm experiencing more and more of it through, through Christian relationship and through sacrifice. And then one day God says to you, hey, you know, we never really talked about your greed or your pride. You're like, wait, 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 I thought I was doing pretty good. And so suddenly you start pressing against your soul. And he goes, you know, I want to kind of jostle some of your greed and self-centeredness and selfish out of your soul. And you're doing that work with God. And as you do that, and as others in your community of faith help you do that, you start pressing against the sides of your soul. And the beauty of this is there is no end to what God will fill for you. And as you start to see that experience, all of a sudden God is like, man, don't worry. There's never going to be a lack. And all of a sudden, you start experiencing more and more of God's love being poured in. And you're like, this is unbelievable. I never even imagined it. I'm back over here. I'm kind of seeing this. And then one day, you find a neighbor who says to you, hey, man, it seems like there's some real joy in your heart. What is that about? And you enter into that first moment where you decide to share your story with another person. You follow the example of Aida and Eddie from the last two baptisms, and they dedicate themselves to not just watching their own lives get transformed, but they're out serving the least of these. Homeless people on the streets, feeding hungry people, telling their neighbors and their family members about Jesus. And what they're doing in all of this is they're making more room for the love of God, and they're just pressing it out, pressing it out, pressing it out. And one day they wake up, and they're like, now we got some serious soul work going on here. And you just take all of that out there and all of a sudden you're like, I never even imagined that this is what I would be able to experience. And God's like, don't worry, I got plenty where that came from. And that's what he just does over and over and over again. Imagine what it would have been like if you'd said, I'm going to settle over here. That's the most of your capacity. That's, the, that's as far as you're willing to go. 
God wants you living a life sold out to him. Superlative. You have one job. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Tend to your soul so that it increases its capacity to hold God's love and to distribute God's love to this world. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can experience this now. You can live with passion right now in your relationship with God. You can live with an increasing sacrifice for your spiritual family. You can have heroic staying power and live your life on mission. Do you really want to wait until you are dead to start experiencing the fullness that God has promised you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that now. And listen, just for those of you who are not yet, I know we always have folks here who are not yet followers of Jesus or this is like totally new kind of a thing. You're like, I don't even understand what you're talking about yet. I, don't, I thought I was a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home and all that kind of stuff. If that's you, if you're watching here online or if, you, if you're here in this room and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask you something here. And, and you know, I'm not trying to be like, you know, like snarky or anything. I, I just want to ask you, is someone making you a better offer than this? I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. In my experience, pastoring now for decades, this is the life that you actually long for. God wants it for you. If you guys have been around a while, you know largely I've just summarized for you our mission statement as a church. Love God, love people, grow in Christ, serve the world. During this series, we're going to be detailing the practices that you get to engage in, steps that you get to take, truths that you get to meditate on, emotions that you get to cultivate, relationships that you get to invest in, mindsets that you will be led by that will grow your soul and make your journey with Jesus superlative. Would you guys pray with me? Father, what we're asking here now is that you would meet us in these moments. Lord, we come, we worship, we pray, we do these things, but Father, we do this because we know that in these moments of submission that we, Lord, will experience, we will experience more and more of you. And that's what we hunger for. That's what we thirst. Lord, we want to grow in our love, our capacity to love you and others. Meet us here. Make this, make this series transformative for us, that we might come to know and love you more fully and completely. We pray it in Christ's name.